Hey, it's Matt Trueblood, and it's Monday, April 29th. I am bringing this back again. I don't know what it's been, uh, at least a week, a little more, I think, since I actually recorded a podcast. But I keep having people reach out, and I want to say thank you to them again, and that I appreciate hearing from them, uh, that it is something people like. So I'll keep trying to record them and trying to get more regular with them. Uh, By way of explanation, though not, I guess, excuse, uh, I will just say that we just now, well, just this past Friday, uh, got through the process of shopping for a home. Um, And so that's taken up a lot of my time. It's going to continue to take up some time, obviously, during the, the period between agreeing and closing on the home. So forgive me if I'm pulled in a lot of different directions for a bit here, in addition to my primary job and to writing. This may continue to slip to the back burner, but I'll record it as often as I'm able. And as the weather continues to improve here in Minnesota, that should be increasingly often. For today just going to kind of empty the notebook a little bit and that shouldn't take a a terribly long time because uh, just given everything that's been going on in my life I haven't watched as much baseball the last handful of days as I had over the previous week or so but to drop off a few bits of insight that I think are still relevant I want to point out a few players who did significant things this past week. Uh, Marcelo Zuna is obviously scalding hot and part of a Cardinals offense that I'm not sure people are talking about enough. They're sort of getting lost in the obviously hilariously misleading uh, offensive start of the Mariners, the much more meaningful ones of the Twins and Dodgers. But the Cardinals are this team that has jumped out to the front of a race we expected to be extremely competitive, and so these games matter, and they're leading the NL Central, and a lot of the fuel for that has been a lineup that's just been bonkers, especially since Ozuna sort of flipped the switch shortly after that embarrassing non-catch on the left field wall a couple of weeks ago. I did the Cardinals' comments for the baseball prospectus annual this year, and one thing I dug into where... Ozuna was concerned is that he sort of lost his ability to lift the ball to the pole field, uh, especially on his hardest hit balls. That was something that he discovered through a change in his timing mechanism that I wrote about back in 2017 while he was with the Marlins. And even before the end of that season, he kind of lost whatever channel it was that he'd tapped into that allowed him to consistently generate that extremely high-value contact. And it was gone for most of 2018. The hardest-hit balls that he pulled simply weren't elevated the way they had been previously. And now he is back into that groove. That's really significant. Uh, it's, it's significant to me just as a learning experience. I, don't, I think we're still trying to grok how to handle stat cast data about hitters especially. It's not like pitching data where we've had over a decade of pitch FX and StatCast gives us some new columns on the tables, but it doesn't fundamentally change the way we've been thinking about pitchers. Hitters 
you know, we're still just barely into the fifth season of this stuff being available to us. And I think it's, we're still trying to get our arms around what is a sustainable change, what isn't, what is a sustainable performance, and what isn't when we're using StatCast, exit velocity, launch angle, hit direction kind of data to measure the performance in the first place. And I'm finding that perhaps even more than we already understood it to be, true talent is a very fluid thing for a hitter. And there can be guys who genuinely lose some particular skill and then rediscover it. I'm finding that um, things like Ozuna's sort of loss of that feel for hitting the ball hard in the air to left field, it can truly be... There can be mechanical foundations for it, approach foundations for it, and yet those things can still be repaired and he can still bounce back. And I think certainly as we do more and more research on this, over time it's going to become obvious to us that health plays a huge part in the performance of a batter from game to game, from week to week, from month to month, that there are a number of guys just as we pretty quickly realized when pitch FX first started being available to us, that there were sometimes pitchers who were pitching hurt and pitching in a, at a diminished level because of it, we're going to be much better able to measure when batters are doing the same thing. I think that's been true of Ozuna uh, throughout the last year plus, and he's now sort of back up to full speed, back in his groove in terms of the timing, uh, the mechanics, and the approach. And while I don't think he's going to be, you know, one of the dozen best hitters in baseball, which he's been over the past fortnight plus, I do think this is a very real progression back to the level that he achieved in 2017. He is interesting as a sort of starting point for analysis of another crucial right-handed hitter in the NL Central, too. That's Chris Bryant who just this past weekend launched, really launched, a home run to left field against the Diamondbacks. I think he also hit one to right field during that series. Not 100% sure. But the point is that Bryant got around on one and just punished it, and he lifted a fly ball to his pole field. That's what we've been waiting to see and not seeing at all from him, essentially since the shoulder injury that was reported about to a fairly limited extent when it actually happened late last spring. Brian's been lost in the weeds, but that is starting to change. Now, he's still going the opposite way more often than he did, than he almost ever has before, but he's consistently generating hard contact to that field, which is a relatively new skill for him. One he was trying to develop when he was healthy but not quite as effective as he'd previously been in 2017. Last year became sort of a lost season because he just wasn't healthy, wasn't able to execute his swing. And his swing is, I don't want to call it a fragile thing, but it's a bit of a delicate mechanism. And any sign that he is getting it back should be taken as very good news for Cubs fans, especially if he's able to do it while not losing that ability to hit the ball hard and launch it to right field as well. So encouraging weekends from both of those guys, encouraging a longer stretch than that from Osuna. 
Bryant has a ways to go before I'm going to believe that he's physically out of the woods and both mechanically and in terms of his approach locked into a level that's going to allow him to return to his previous performance plateaus. But there's good news there. Now to pivot briefly to another Cub who has been struggling out of the gate this season, but whose success or failure is critical to their hopes of catching up to the Cardinals in the NL Central. Anthony Rizzo stung a home run to left field against the Dodgers while they were still at home at Wrigley uh, during the week. I don't remember which night. Forgive me. That is crucial and worth remembering. Uh, Rizzo at his best, which we haven't seen really since, we'll say 2017. He was certainly at his very best in from 2014 to 16, I think. But at his best, Rizzo can generate plenty of power to the opposite field. That has not been happening for most of the last two seasons, and especially last year. He pulled, I believe the number, and I don't have it in front of me, he pulled, I believe, 72% of his homers last season. That was up from about 50% as recently as 2016. And that's important not only because you want a guy to be able to cover the whole plate and go with the pitch to a certain extent, but because Rizzo is at his best when he is able to be aggressive without losing you know, the control of his approach. He is a very controlled hitter, and sometimes throughout his career that's meant that he was willing to sacrifice some of his very obvious natural power coming from that big frame and that strong swing in order to make contact, in order to use the whole field, but maybe use it in a sort of a slap hitter way. It's also important because Wrigley Field, and this is something that we need to talk about more Much more than, well, I don't want to say much more than, but let's say at least as much as the wind patterns at Wrigley Field. The direction in which you hit a really well-hit ball, especially in the air, matters a ton at Wrigley, and it doesn't favor pulling the ball as a left-handed hitter. From right center field, well, we can even say from dead center, around to almost the, the foul pole in right field, essentially around to that well, where it's only about 360 feet at the indentation, it's not a good place to hit home runs. Uh, Almost regardless of the wind pattern, the ball will die in right center field. And continuing to drive the ball to that area of the park is more a recipe for for frustration than anything else. A left-handed hitter who wants to generate a lot of pop needs to be able to hit it out to left field especially when that's what pitchers are giving them to do at Wrigley. The difference is it's significant. And and people who watch games regularly at Wrigley should already be aware of that. But I think it's something that slips under the radar because the dimensions are reported as essentially symmetrical. They aren't. And you can see that if you look at an overhead of an over an aerial view of the park. It's a very flat wall coming around from the left field line out to center and then a much deeper curvature from essentially dead center around 
to, again, that indentation near the corner and right. But I think there's also just a matter of whether it's the wind tunnels or the weather pattern itself, the ball does not fly as well to right, physically speaking, as it does to left field. So if Rizzo can start to use the whole field and generate power while doing so, it's an important step for the Cubs. And he's obviously a very important hitter to that team. Just to touch quickly on the piece that I'll have up at Baseball Prospectus early this week, quite possibly tomorrow, uh, I wrote about Marcus Stroman of the Blue Jays, who has now pitched, I think it's 37 innings, pushing 38 even, and has yet to give up a homer this year. His ERA is around one and a half. He pitched on Friday night, the same night that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. debuted, and uh, it would have been impossible to steal the show from Vlad, who despite only getting one hit, kind of did what we hoped he would do. There was a hard hit fly ball. There was a hard hit ground ball. He was using the whole field. He had the double that set up, set up their walk-off win. There would have been no way to steal the show from him, but Stroman came as close as he could. He dominated the A's despite facing them for the second time in a week, which usually is a disadvantage for a starting pitcher. And he did it in kind of the same way that he's been doing it all season. A dramatic increase in his slider usage relative to previous years at the expense primarily of his sinker. Uh, But the story is a little bit different than it is throughout the rest of the league. I've documented in I don't know how many places now the progress of the league toward being a fastball, and by that I mean four-seam fastball, and slider league with the sinker sort of being left behind. But it's a different story with Stroman. His sinker is a good pitch. And the reason that he's having so much success, in addition to using the slider more, is that he has adjusted what the slider does and how it interacts with both his sinker and his cutter. Those are the three primary pitches in his repertoire, although he has three more that he uses only sparingly. He's essentially flattened out the slider to make it more of a horizontal pitch, and one that changes the hitter's eye level vertically much less. But he's also feathered back the velocity on the slider. So he's keeping the pitch on the same plane, you know, giving hitters few chances to see that any vertical shift is coming between the sinker, the cutter, and the slider. And obviously the cutter and the slider have similar spin axes, So it's especially hard to pick those two apart. And at the same time, he's increased that velocity differential, which is why he's getting a lot more swings and misses with the slider than he has in general in recent seasons. Now, also having both a sinker and a cutter, but using the straight fastball pretty rarely, that's allowing Stroman to really stay off the barrels of opposing hitters. No other pitcher in baseball has pitched even 17 innings without allowing a homer, but that's where Stroman is. And in this day and age, you can be damn sure that's not a fluke because all the flukes are turning into homers. You know, there aren't a lot of well-hit fly balls that are staying in ballparks across the league. He's doing this by, yes, keeping hitters very off balance. It's great that he already had the built-in ability to mix up his delivery, his timing patterns, his arm slot. He's a guy who generates a lot of deception that way. 
And when you add considerably less predictability in the form of more sliders, fewer sinkers, more cutters, now it's a true three-pitch guessing game for pitchers in any given count. It's almost impossible for a batter to decide which pitch is most likely to be coming, identify it out of the hand, and get the good part of the bat to the spot where the ball ends up just because of the movement he generates and the ability to keep hitters from being able to guess that in advance. So I hope you'll read that at baseballprospectus.com. It's a great time of year to sign up. We have tons of content going up there uh, early this season. It's, it's one of the best times I can remember for us as a site, and I'm very excited about the direction of the organization overall. Uh, you can give me a follow at M.A. Trueblood on Twitter, which if you're hearing this, you probably already do. And uh, I'm also hoping to have a couple of editions of my email newsletter, Penning Bull, coming out this week. You can check that out on my Twitter account or at Penning Bull on Twitter and uh, sign up at the website, PenningBull.com. Thanks very much.